try like every week to try to come up with something weird for the opening. This is the AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I'm joined by the lovely, the amazing, the incredible, the talented, the very, very funny LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth wins. Oh, good afternoon, Pam. Happy belated birthday to you. I'm so sick of celebrating my birthday. You like we have no, it's you fun. don't like being that girl that's like it's my birthday for a month. Yeah, I, it seems like a month. It's only been a week. Uh, I'm just hoping that people come to my show on Friday. I will be there. Oh, awesome! I I'm really hoping to get 30 people in here so that I can film it and do my 42 minutes and not suck my own balls off and maybe have a new tape and use it for something and Yay. like you know apply to things you know like you know stuff with a good video. Uh, so it'll be great. Around. Yeah, and, around. and it's all like new weird stuff. It's you know gonna be like a, all my a lot of my abortion material, just feminist stuff, the T-Rex theories. <laughs> we have the self-driving car joke now. That it's so funny. The things that start here on the AltaCast and then they turn into actual jokes. Uh, so that's fun. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's gonna be a fun show. I'm gonna try to be a real comedian. And, do time and and not necessarily like do joke jokes but um you know feel around a little bit and be a little bit more like a real comedian you know Play, playing 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 as playing play. the audience because i'm just so confident in all my material <laughs> but hopefully i can stack the audience with friends and whatnot uh so how was your weekend uh, i've been depressed yeah we all have so uh still that's been going on but I, I've started writing again, so that Dude, that was good. That's great. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I made money this weekend. Ooh, money! And Fleet Week is fucking oh, over. Oh my god! Thank God. Thank Two god. fingers in the sky. My poor cat. I'm telling Aww. you, Spike, <laughs> like, was losing his motherfucking kitty I mind. It. And he'd look at us on Sunday like, Whoa, and then run, just bolt. And I was like, I'm so sorry, kitty. And he'd be laying so nice with us on the sofa, and then it would go by, and his is just little alien kitty yeah. face just like, it's so, so annoying sorry. for those who don't know fleet week is like when all the sailors you know come in and like you know there's the uh thing going on at the presidio and ships and stuff and then it's the blue angels oh which is, god and that's exactly what she was just describing that noise and oh. i i don't get anything i never liked that shit when i was a kid and um, i it's just annoying to me now it just it's just wagging our noises. military dick around just yeah like, that's what it is we are superior to everything look at our plates go fast yeah it, that, that that sound it's like skeet 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 <laughs> all over the city just skeet all over just d- take that big military dick and jizz all over San Francisco it, that's for a week. exactly yeah. that's exactly what happened that's exactly what I was just constantly covered in jizz a, don't don't try to hold a conversation because you got to pause every like 60 <laughs> seconds exactly three shows three shows a day <laughs> I mean I was so happy on Monday when it was over I was like you know can we just get back to celebrating Christophe Colombo uh, who just hobbled the people of that that's yeah. the one thing I learned from Stephen King reading Misery, uh, when she breaks his ankles to hobble him, that that's what Christopher Columbus did to the natives when he got there, so they couldn't run away. Yeah. So instead of spending the money on chains to like chain them up, uh, you just break one of their feet irreparably, so that they can't ever run away. Because it's for the best. Well, it's because they need farmers. Yeah. They need slaves. Yeah. That's the line she used in Misery. She <laughs> did the line because it's for the best. It's for the best. No, I really. Number I, one fan. I still don't understand why people celebrate 
a murderer. Yeah. You know, Dahmer. it's like almost like having a Jeffrey Dahmer holiday or something. <laughs> right. Where the difference is. Where's a serial killer holiday? Yeah, just have a serial killer holiday. I mean, when do we get Columbus? to celebrate John Wayne Gacy and his weird clown outfit? <laughs> like, that didn't affect Stephen King's writing of it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the, like the whole clown, really, what he's done for horror and for scaring people throughout time and, you know, having little children be afraid of clowns. I say we celebrate John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, Columbus was kind of, I guess he is a serial killer. He, he, and he probably looked like a clown to most yeah. of the indigenous peoples. Oh, t- <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I look like a clown. My I break your leg. Just because the Comedia dell'arte is like our thing. A little slapstick here, a little slap you on the ass there. I break your leg. I break your leg. We're in India, right? Oh, oh. wrong. Yeah. I mean, oh. I, it's just so insulting, especially like me being part indigenous myself. You know, you have people having a Columbus Slaughter Day parade, and it was just like, how? The, that's like having, hey, let's have a slave slave day. You know, it, it just it's it's it you know, doesn't sit right with me and my people. Could you imagine if there was like um, a holiday that was celebrating? the slavery that built our country that would never happen no but that's why the south wants to rise again because they that's what they want that's what they enjoyed you know so they don't they don't say let's have a slave day but they they wouldn't mind having it back uh i was i was reading the facebooks you know like as i do with news and um Brandon Stokes had a had a all caps thing that was like I can't wait for white slavery, and I responded and I was like, "Honey, I think it's called Task Rabbit. <laughs> I think it already exists. I think that Task Lift Task Rabbit. How many more Grubhub? Grubhub, all like, of them. All the all the white people driving around bringing you bringing other white people groceries. Exactly, picking me up. We got we got a bunch of driving Miss Daisies. Right. <laughs> But I mean, but the thing is, like, you're not getting paid that much, so right. Well, and then slavery, you don't get get paid at all. Uh, It's kind of more of indentured servitude, right? You know, but it's just like you know, it's funny that you know, I some pre. I mean, the government, you don't have to work on Columbus Day. You know, it's just. I hate that day. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the government, drugs, 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 drugs. This week in drugs, brought to you by Melissa Moore from Drug Policy Alliance. Go to drugpolicy.org and sign up, donate, do all kinds of stuff. Yay! Uh, we talked about Kratom last week. Uh, that's still like up in arms. Uh, here we go. Well, this will be fun to open up with. Want to make a million? Become a DEA informant. Oh, shit. This is a Washington Post uh, article from September 30th by Joe Davidson in Washington. There's an unfortunate saying on the street, snitches get stitches. Turns out some get paid, too, sometimes very, very well. Consider this from a new report on major problems with the Drug Enforcement Administration's confidential informant program. DEA paid. One source, $30 million over a 30-year period, some of it in cash payments of more than $400,000. Nine people, $25 million during a five-year period, averaging 
$1,555 annually for narcotics-related information and assisting law enforcement. A parcel worker, more than $1 million over five years, or $200,000 a year. An airline employee, over $600,000 in less than four years, more than $150,000 per year. Not bad for part-time work. Of course, there's the danger of earning the enmity of drug gangs, but apparently something gets worth the risk. The report by the Justice Department's Office of Inspector General, IG, found serious deficiencies with the DEA's confidential source program, including poor oversight that exposes the DEA to an unacceptably increased potential for waste, fraud, and abuse, IG Michael Horowitz said. Experts who represent people who could be the target of confidential informants question their use even under the best of circumstances. The government should not sponsor testimony from paid informants, said the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers President Barry J. Pollack. If a defendant paid a fact witness, he would be charged with committing obstruction of justice, a federal felony. The credibility of paid informants is always suspect. If the DEA and other law enforcement agencies insist on relying on such questionable testimony, its use should be rare and the payments well documented and fully disclosed. The IG report demonstrates the routine use of paid informants without these basic safeguards. Bill Piper, a senior director of the Drug Policy Alliance, which advocates for liberal drug policies, agreed, saying, paying informants creates incentives to lie or fabricate evidence. Duh. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Duh. <laughs> Michael J. Stanfill, a DEA deputy chief inspector, defended the use of confidential informants. They, quote, provide invaluable contributions and assistance to DEA investigations, unquote. He told the IG in a response printed in the report, quote, however, DEA recognizes the inherent risk involved when relying on persons whose motivations can be suspect. Thus, steps have been taken to mitigate identified risks, unquote. The DEA presumably is better at rousting drug dealers than it's at its record keeping. Its intelligence division was not able to provide the IG's office with an itemized list of total payments to confidential sources that contributed to the report's conclusion that the agency's oversight is not commensurate with the significant amount of money it pays to confidential sources. They're so bad at record keeping. We just we just give money to people, but we don't have to keep you know tabs on it because we're trying to keep them safe, safe. right? Yeah. So we don't want to compromise the informants by like. So do they pay taxes on that? You know they don't. You know they don't. And my my <laughs> thing is this: it's you know I know where they're getting the money. I mean, when once they confiscate you know drug dealers' right, property, right. and you remember uh, several shows ago we were talking about right the laws that have just been changed as to how much you can take. It used to be like forty grand yes. that you could take for no reason, and Absolutely. the guy on the train and they took he was going from New York to L. A. to record his new album, and he had eight thousand dollars in cash. They and they took it, it all. Yeah, they took his stuff. So I mean, I'm, <laughs> legally, I'm, I'm 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 guessing this is just me just taking an idea out there, thinking this is probably this is the money that they're probably using to pay yeah. informants. Also, like the billions of dollars that they every year the DEA gets to use without exactly record keeping. Uh, oh. This is this is crazy, right? This is, uh, be, because of the agency's uh, 
limited record keeping on informants, the report said the DEA is unable to examine the reliability and whether they frequently or rarely provide useful information or whether the DEA agents acted upon resulting in identifying individuals involved in illegal activity or instead caused the DEA to regularly approach innocent civilians for questioning. The IG's office said it is deeply concerned about this inability to access source reliability, which seriously impairs DEA's ability to oversee and manage the activity of these sources. In January, the IG revealed that the DEA has improperly used Amtrak and Transportation Security Administration screeners as informants. That practice continued for months after the revelation. The DEA has since changed its rules on using employees of government or quasi-government agencies. Thursday's documents said the DEA paid two Amtrak employees thousands of dollars for information that was available at no cost to the government, thereby wasting substantial government funds. One of those two got the bulk of the money almost $855,000 over 20 years. The DEA paid $1.5 million to at least 33 Amtrak informants from fiscal 2011 through 2015. Jesus. Eight TSA staffers got $94,000 for information that the screener was already obligated to provide to law enforcement. Another example of poor management. The DEA continued to use and pay informants who had been deactivated because they were suspect of ser committing serious crimes. <laughs> In one case, the DEA reactivated a confidential source who previously provided false testimony on trials and depositions. According to the report, during the approximate five-year period of reactivation, this source was used by 13 DEA field officers and paid $469,158, more than $61,000 of the 469,158 was paid after this source was once again deactivated for making false statements to a prosecutor. The DEA accepted all seven of the IG's recommendations, including more frequent and rigorous confidential source management and oversight training. Barbara L. Carino, a DEA spokeswoman, said the agency officials welcome the OIG recommendations and we are committed to strengthening the accountability and effectiveness of this mission critical program. I'm in the wrong business. I know. What are we doing? I need to be in the business of snitching. Snitches get stitches. Exactly. Except when they can pay for them because they can go to an out-of-pocket doctor because they just made $469,000 right? last year. Right. That is, that's a good hustle, my friend. That is a great hustle. It's really fucked up. <laughs> it's totally fucked up, but it's, Jesus. I, yeah. We are in the wrong. We're in the in wrong, wrong business. Is. It's so dirty. The DEA is so dirty. They, I mean, they should be investigated themselves, seriously. Well, I think that's what's starting to happen, is that the DEA is being uh, questioned, and uh, things are happening, but it does, they're not even really, they're not really responding to it. Like, no. they said, oh, hey, we realize that you're using government informants, and you could have been getting the information for free, but you're paying someone. Well, just keep doing it for a couple months, and then, oh, okay, now we'll stop. Yeah. Just a little tap on, tap on the hand. Tap on the just hand. Just a little tap. You know, uh, this is uh, a little more exciting and, and happy news. This comes to you from uh, marijuana.com, and uh, this is a, an exciting world, uh, you know, news story. Next UN head oversaw Portugal's drug decriminalization. The next leader of the United Nations was Prime Minister of Portugal when that country enacted a groundbreaking policy to decriminalize all drugs. 
Antonio Gutierrez, who led Portugal from 1995 to 2002, was selected as the UN's next Secretary General in a straw poll of the body's Security Council on Wednesday, with a formal vote expected on Thursday. The move will then be sent to the full UN General Assembly for final approval, which is expected. In 2001, Portugal decriminalized all drugs, including marijuana, heroin, and cocaine. While use and possession remain technically illegal, people caught with small amounts of drugs are not arrested or sent to prison. Rather, they are brought before a three-member commission that can recommend treatment or assign fines and other administrative remedies. The move was pushed through by Gutierrez's ruling Socialist Party over objections from the opposition Social Democrats. In 2009, Cato Institute report found Found that since decriminalization went into effect, drug use by Portuguese teenagers has dropped, as have drug-related deaths and HIV-AIDS rates among drug users. Enrollment in drug treatment is up. Drug trafficking and sales remain punishable as crimes. It remains to be seen what extent Gutierrez extend, intends to use the new role to encourage other nations to enact similar policies, or if he will push the UN to revise international drug control treaties that seek to prevent countries from enacting further reaching reforms like legalization. The treaties do not require nations to maintain criminal penalties on drug use. While current Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has expressed support for alternatives to criminalization, the UN under this leadership has resisted attempts to revise the treaties, most recently as General Assembly special sessions that took place in New York this April. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan has called for drug prohibition to be placed within a system of legal regulation. While Gutierrez's government enacted the decriminalization policy with his support, his position on broader legalization is not yet known. Still, that Gutierrez's bid was not vetoed by any of the five permanent Security Council members, China, France, Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States, is a signal that support for ending the criminalization of drugs wasn't a big enough sticking point with those nation's leaders to have sunk his candidacy. And that could be a sign of things to come. Gutierrez will take over uh, for ban in January. So, I mean, wouldn't it be exciting if there could be, it would change things, you know. It would change things completely. It would change our criminal justice system here too. Yeah. It really would. And you know, the fact of the matter is that's, you know, drug addicts or what have you don't belong in jail no it doesn't it certainly doesn't help it doesn't help it'll dry them out yeah but that's it and you know the thing it's you're an addict you need help you don't need jail time right jail time doesn't do anything for you and when you're in jail people are mean to you yeah nobody's not it's not like summer camp you're not your right mind either nobody's happy i mean it's i don't yeah it's uh it's like go to your room. And, you know, and drug, yeah, and drug addiction just goes—it goes deeper than like, well, I want to—I just want to do drugs. No, there's, you know, that person who has an addiction problem might have had an issue with, you know, family or something that happened to them in their past. So it's deeper than just like I've watched a lot of intervention. Yeah, exactly. Ditto. There was th- there's a new one I just watched, and it was so sad because it was a cause of addiction or a cause for I just didn't think that that would be the seed and it opened my mind to like wow um, uh, having survivor guilt oh yeah so uh, people who have become uh, there was one girl she became an alcoholic because she was in Japan during the big tsunami and it was a high school trip and she like 
bitched about it and was all upset because she was like, my trip's being cut short, but she didn't realize like all the devastation until she got home and then saw all of it and she felt so guilty and then they sort of demonized her in the press. They were like, oh, this, you know, entitled little girl thinks oh, blah, blah, so blah. she got like, exploited too. Right, by. so she got exploited when she came back and she had guilt, she had like survivor guilt and she just started drinking like just constant, constant vodka all the time. Yeah, that, I, I can see why, you know, I mean. 911 responders, same thing. And same it's thing, like, yeah. And people who've been, you know, uh, served our country in one of the terrible, you know, things happening in the Middle East, wherever, whether it be Afghanistan or what have you, PTSD. coming back and being the alive one, if you were either caused someone's death or saw it or somehow was involved in a wartime death yeah. life kind of situation, like, man, that's some seriously heavy shit to deal with. And I don't know, like, if they put you on pills. Damaged, you know, you, you see something traumatic. It's trauma. Right. You know, and so. We don't treat the trauma. We just cover it up with, like, pills and stuff. And then if they get off the pills, then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, now I'm on heroin. Yeah. I don't want to feel the Abs- feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it is. And, you know, the fact that matter is just like, you know, throwing someone in jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with possession, right? You know, it's it's deeper than that. So I yeah. I really I really hope that the United States will in the but, future. And that's so funny. Where could we possibly get the money for drug treatment? Tra- Wait a minute. I just don't even know where I, we get that money for drug treatment idea. programs. I, have I can't. Idea. <laughs> how insane is it? How absolutely is insane is it that the DEA is wasting money on informants to trap people instead of right. using that money to help people who could possibly the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. What about what about helping people? What about the government being there rather than to point the finger and prosecute what if they could use that money i don't know to help people no the dea was never put there to help people it was it was put there to put punish black people and put hippies away because they're scary because they think socialist thoughts exactly don't think those socialist thoughts so now you know the, the DEA has destroyed so many people's lives and, and obviously helped so many. Yeah. I wonder what color. <laughs> I wonder what color the people who were who were the informants. Oh, uh, I I'm, wonder. I'm take a white. A white guess. A, a, a white guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, I bet you're white. <laughs> Are you white or wrong? <laughs> I'm, I, think, I think I'm white. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. So. And, and the thing is, it's just like this money that is being just like recklessly strewn about recklessly strewn about by the DEA and yet we don't have money for drug treatment programs right because I mean (laughs) even supplying I know we have clean needle sites and stuff like that in San Francisco and I don't know if every city is as progressive as we are and I don't even think we're as progressive as we should be we've been holding fast with about 6,600 homeless people Uh, since I just was looking at the the census the census comes out it was done in 2015 and every two years we count the homeless and uh it's, it's about 6,600, and it's been that way for a couple years. So we're sort of like, you know, in this sort of stagnant area. But 6,600 people don't have people. homes? That's a lot of That's people. That's a lot of people for a small city. Right, for seven, seven by seven. seven. And, it went, and the cool thing about the report is that you can click on all the different um, 
districts and see how many questionably housed people there were. And the funniest part is that the marina went up by like, it like doubled or something. It went from like seven to 28, it like quadrupled or something it. like that. And yep. Jonathan and I were looking at it and he's like, the marina? And I'm like, yeah, like yeah. the homeless are getting pushed in the marina. They're, they're coming. Can you believe it? They're, com they're coming. And the thing is like, I see, you know, going back to you were talking about like a, like the clean needle program right, or what right. have you, that our the our vice president, or excuse me, vice president in the running, Mike Pence, his state had uh, they tried to have a sh uh, needle program in the state of Indiana. Well, he vetoed it because, by the way, there was like a AIDS, epi uh, AIDS epidemic starting to. Starting um, in little small counties in Indiana, hence why they wanted to do the clean needle program, and he vetoed it. You know, That's and so scary. now the there's a population of people with um, having HIV growing. Wow! At a rapid rate in the state of Indiana, just because of the fact that they can't get clean needles. They so can't sharing get, needles. Exactly. And you don't, and you're taking your blood and putting it in another God. person. Ugh. It's kind of the most dangerous thing it's you can do with AIDS. Yeah, it's 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 very dangerous. Like it's not only you know you get HIV, which is the the deadliest, but the fact that the other diseases that oh, have Hep C. Yeah, hepatitis. Oh yeah, hepatitis you know? is no good, especially if you're on the streets and you have Hep C. Your liver is not functioning, and a lot of people drink. And if you have a, a, like a liver dysfunction a dead liver disease and you're it just puts you high, at higher risk for all kinds of situations absolutely, absolutely. Well, and that's the other thing that the homeless uh, census noted is that we're not getting more homeless people but our homeless people are aging and that's going to be a problem is that they're all still here and they're all still homeless and as they age that's going to i mean it's the Medicaid or Medi-Cal or it's the free stuff. But if we could use, if we know that they're there and we could do some prevention, wouldn't that be amazing? Because otherwise we're going to pay for it later. Absolutely. If you have someone with hep C and you're not helping them have access to healthy lifestyle, healthy food, needle exchange, these kinds of things, they're going to get sepsis and go into the, you know, they're going to be more expensive on the tail end with the hospital, with the med with the medical bills. Right. Than if we actually take, and if you take care of people and help them maybe turn things around, then they can help other people and then. And so on and so on. And I so mean, on and so on. the thing is, it's just like, you know, with drug addiction, it's, you know, it's something that can be helped. Just like, you know, just with cancer sometimes, you know, you go in for chemo, right? So you can try to kill the cancer. Not always successful, but the fact that the matter, just like with drug addiction, you can help try to help that person, but it's not always going to be successful. But right. the fact of trying to help will make a big difference rather than not doing anything, right? And or just throwing them in jail, right? You know, you know, the, yeah, throwing think, an alcoholic in jail, right? And I, I, I wish more cities did have like the the uh, clean needle program it makes i mean it's just sense it just it's just logical right. you know and especially in the city here where you there's not a day go, goes by that you don't see someone that is homeless oh or i saw that a person mentally ill she was pooing on a tree when i was walking here and it's funny it's because right next to jones and <laughs> police station there's the tenderloin police station and right on the side there was a questionably housed lady with her pants down and she was pooing on a tree and another lady the, just a kind woman reaches into her purse and tries to hand her some napkins and the lady's like waved her hand away and I just thought to myself what a kind neighbor right like she just handed her some tissues because we all saw her pooping 
And the funny thing is, it's right in front of the police station. So, and, yeah. and there was a public restroom on the other side. So why the tree? Yeah, <laughs> anyway. she's not mentally there. I guess <laughs> that's, that's the anybody. <laughs> I mean, I've never lived in a city where I've had to really be careful, make sure I don't step on shit. Yeah, seriously. And I, I yeah. And the thing is, just most of these people. It's either drug addicts, it's either mental illness, or you just can't afford to live you, in a place in San Francisco. You, I mean, it's I, I think that I keep seeing these uh, lava may on the street too, which is great. And there's another woman with a bus that she's transformed into showers. But the the toilets that are mobile and the showers that are mobile that have been happening in San Francisco, I think that's amazing. And if we could just start with giving everybody access to clean toilets. That would be, like, if I was running for mayor, <laughs> that would be, like, my platform. Would be, like, toilets for everyone! But who's going to clean up that shit? Well, no, but the, the, the toilets on the street that do the things, like the one at 16th and Mission and the one at Civic Center, every 20 minutes, there's a washy, spongy bath that happens. Oh, cool. So you can't actually pass out. You can do heroin in, in them privately and stuff but after 20 minutes even if the door's locked the shower thing goes on so if you <laughs> say passed out on the toilet because you're doing heroin in 20 minutes you're gonna get really wet you're gonna get it showers the whole it cleans the it's whole thing it's gonna wake your ass up yeah, your ass is, you're woke now <laughs> but um so but that would be i really think that having if we could just start it, it does that seem so simple it seems so simple Toilets but the everyone. thing is a lot of the people that are on the streets here aren't they they're not mentally here. Right, right. They're not mentally here, and they could care less. I mean, that's why you see them shitting on the tree. Or I saw a guy last week shitting like on a stoop. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, it, it's, it's a smart way to do it, I guess. It's if a you, smart way. If but you hang your tushy out over, see now, I, I I pee in public sometimes just because, like, okay, let's say Dolores Park example. Line's too long, can't go to the bathroom. Gotta gotta go, gotta go, freaking out, right? So I uh, walk a couple blocks inward, and there's some people that have planter boxes. And if you're wearing a skirt, you just sit on the planter box and pull your pull your panties down, and you pee. Just so it looks like you're sitting on the planter box, but you're really peeing. I did this uh, on the federal building once, but he tried to come out and catch me. <laughs> I was coming back from brainwash, and I had to pee so badly, and I should have peed at brainwash, and I didn't. I was with drummer comedian Aaron Barrett. This is years ago, and I was drunk, and I was like, I'm gonna pee on the federal building. So I get, sit down on their little benches, and I pull my twat back over the edge, and I start peeing, and I see the, gu the guard from inside just start coming out, and Aaron's like, Pam, gotta go 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 and so like i pulled up my pants and ran but i peed on the federal building i hope they you can't come after mark. me i left my mark they don't take kindly to that it was still called the george bush building at that time though so oh, it's perfect. kind of why yeah just started to get r kelly on yet i showed my bush to <laughs> no but it's you know i wasn't I, there I, in my right mind either i do i do appreciate <laughs> the fact that you know san francisco tries to put an effort into taking care of those who you know those who are out on the streets or what have you but i think there's more that we can do especially you know with you know mental care there's so much um, programs that could help people get off their feet and start you know with you know trying to find work and you know or you know just it's it all of those things you know yeah. rather than like i i, I like can think of tons of jobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally and I, I i mean i do appreciate the fact that they do have the porter the mobile uh bathrooms and what have you yeah. but we need to do more we than just 
having a place to shower and shit. Right. You know? Well, but that's a base. Like that's the thing is but if you're thinking knew, about basic things. But the thing is, they knew this has been out of control way before I even moved here. Oh, yeah. This has been out of control before you moved yeah, here. Absolutely. You know, so it's it's and it's now it's, it's still a growing issue. It's growing more and more, especially how expensive the city is. Yeah. Because now you're not just talking about drug addicts and people with mental illness. Now you're talking about people who actually you're have talking about comedians yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. comedians who actually have jobs but no place to live because yeah. they can't afford to live in the city in the city well and even teachers who live who work in the city right. can't afford to live in the city right you have to live in oakland to teach in san francisco uh, yeah so i mean it, it, it's 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 a growing issue that the city thought would go away or you know they figured oh we'll just keep the sros here, uh, um open oh those are terrible those places are terrible by the way and unfortunately, I think some of them should be closed. You know, it's, it's, uh, well, it, absolutely. And, uh, the shelters are the worst because they make you check out and check in. And so you have to be out by like, you know, seven thirty in the morning and you have to be back. And if you, if you don't have, you have to be back in by eight or something, but you can get a late pass and be back by 11, but it's like special or it's, it's crazy. They make it really difficult to, uh, to be to live in the to live in the shelter in the city. Uh, here we go. This is the last article here on the Drug Minute, the drug, the drug policy. Uh, go like them on Facebook, Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, check them out, drugpolicy.org. This is actually from Fusion. Uh, a new documentary shines a terrifying light on cops who think they are at war in America. In one arresting scene in Do Not Resist, Craig Atkinson's new documentary about the culture of American policing, Dave Grossman, a man who conducts police training seminars, reportedly tells a group of officers that the best sex of their lives is waiting for them in the moments after they kill someone. Oh, God. Both partners are very invested in, in some very intense sex, Grossman insists, according to the Washington Post. There's not a whole lot of perks that come with this job. You find one, relax, and enjoy it. The endorsement of murder as a means of improving one's sex life is meant to shock you when you hear it, but Do Not Resist is aiming to tell a story about uh, how that kind of thinking permeates certain segments of police officer culture. As the film's trailer shows, the subjects of the film feel that officer and warrior are interchangeable identities that they shift between in their everyday interactions with the public. I want to show how ubiquitous Grossman's philosophy is and how it has been adopted throughout law enforcement, Atkinson told The Guardian. I don't think they should be incentivizing law enforcement to commit violence. This is a rape and pillage philosophy versus a protect and serve philosophy. Do Not Resist takes the images of police officers decked out in combat gear as they roll down residential streets in tanks that we've all seen and digs into the industry dedicated to making those pictures possible. While the idea of police officers equipped with heavy-duty gear meant for war zones might shock and disturb some, Do Not Resist stresses the idea that they're increasingly becoming part of the way that some departments feel enforcement should be. 
Just to pick one example, in recent years, there's been a marked uptick in instances of police districts employing SWAT teams for relatively routine policing. According to the ACLU, upwards of 60% of SWAT raids carried out between 2011 and 2012 were for drug-related issues. The vast majority of the warrants associated with the raids are for small amounts of drugs. What's more, the ACLU found that officers outfitted with materialized combat gear were almost 15 times more likely to use weapons like flashbangs during their initial raves raves i almost said <laughs> raids raves R- rage. rage it's all yeah. kind of a similar word even in those moments when tear gas isn't being lobbed into crowds and ar-15s aren't actually being fired at people there's an atmosphere created when you see an armored vehicle designed to move through literal war zones uh, casually driving down the street as the post pointed out do not resist is at its most damning in those moments that it shows how freely various police districts give the documentary crew access to record them. They don't see just how jarring, out of place, and imposing their highly weaponized presence might come across to civilians. Ultimately, Do Not Resist chooses not uh, not to focus on moments of explicit police brutality in favor of shining a spotlight on how some police are responding to critiques of their work. Rather than pushing for strengthened community bonds and relationships that are mentioned so often in political forums, these officers cling to the guns they have and dream of carrying bigger, bigger deadlier ones in the future. Yep. Oh, bigger, yeah. deadlier guns. Do you want to see the trailer? Let's watch the trailer. Yeah. And um, let, let's listen to the trailer. Excuse me. Yeah, let's. We'll watch. We'll watch you listen here. We, we'll, we'll get this going. So, this is from the new movie uh, Do Not Resist coming out uh, right now. Let's hope there's no commercial. There shouldn't be. This is like a. We'll see what they do. But, uh, wow, it makes sense during the Super Bowl. All of those people with guns. And, I mean, I showed the children. Look, they're guns. Real guns. It won a Best Documentary at Tribeca Film Festival. We are seeing a growing debate about so-called warrior cops, a term that I've heard, and the militarization of police. I think it's very important to remind our fellow citizens that we need a range of weapons and equipment to respond and protect our fellow citizens and protect ourselves. Threat! Big guns, big guns. Threat! An eye-opening experience, says the New Yorker. Chilling, says Variety. We are at war, and you're the frontline troops in this war. We are preparing for any type of situation, of course. Anything dealing with ISIS is is a concern. We do a lot of training in the event that we had a situation like what they had in Missouri. Guns pointed at people. A nun. It's actually written descriptions for how the equipment should be used and says it's specifically not supposed to be used for riot suppression. Tear gas.
burned out cars. Arresting and essential. A startling feature Folks, to there you. ain't nobody in Mexico right now complaining about militarization of police. You understand? In the very near future, you will be vindicated. Uh, it's clear. There's gotta be some drugs here. We need to put the brakes on the fear, and we need to act rationally. Terrorism works because it makes people irrational, and it makes them destroy themselves. Do not resist. Yeah, you in know who theaters at, now. You know who they're at war with? Black and brown people. Black and brown people. <laughs> yeah. S safety's nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really upsetting to me. The fact of the matter is just like you know, why, why does such a small like little community a suburb it like Ferguson? Why do they have uh, tanks? Like. Ferguson is, it's an old little city. It's very suburban. It's not as scary as the me media portrayed it to be, but right. it's just really funny. The fact that they have all the, this military equi equipment, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, for the war on drugs. War on drugs. But you know, war the thing is- ISIS it, and drugs. The, How are ISIS and drugs together? <laughs> <laughs> We've said it here first. <laughs> ISIS and drugs, finally, together. The DEA, keeping us safe. But I think, also, I have to say that, you know, it's not it's nothing new. I mean, the LAPD back in the 80s, during the whole crack epidemic, would use tanks and what have you Duh. to, like, bust through people's homes. And some of the times, they were the wrong homes right, absolutely. that they busted through. Well, and and they, they use their intelligence in, in sometimes dumb ways. There was a family in Del Mar, down in San Diego, and it was a mother of three teenage boys, and they lived in a big house, and they all had cars, and they were all entitled little fuckballs. But the DEA stormed in on their house because they thought they were growing pot. Because their, <laughs> their electricity bill was so high, and their water usage was so high, that they took that information and said, they must be growing weed there. And they broke down the doors. This is years ago. This is like 10, 10 12 years ago. They broke down the doors, and she's like, I'm a mom! And it's because she had three boys. They were all in sports. She was doing laundry, like, you know, nine, ten loads of laundry a day. You know, they were jizzing in their sheets. They were, you know, just using up tons of water, taking showers, being dirty boys. And they, they, thought, they, just, they thought she was, they thought they broke into the wrong house. And I bet that she got a huge settlement. I bet that the oh, people sure. they show breaking into their houses mistakenly, and then there's no drugs. I doubt their settlements are the same as hers. Oh, yeah. From Del Mar. Oh, t probably not. But I mean, probably not. But the fact of the matter is just like, they're notorious for going on a thought. Right. You know. The thought police. The th the th yeah. Thought or police. the fact that if they do catch anyone with drugs, it, it it's it's a small amount right 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 so you uh, uh, yeah so what are you gonna do what are you gonna here's do? Uh, our last this actually just came out hot off the presses this this press release was just dropped uh, in the past half hour since we've been here uh in this is exciting news since we've been following the kratom thing in unprecedented move drug enforcement administration withdraws emergency kratom band haha -ha. 
after all that, people actually got their way. They're like, the, the, the DEA tried to sneak it in, like, oh, you know what? This isn't important. This is a, another thing. We're going to put a, a ban on this so we can have. And the people went, whoa, this, like, whoa, this helps opiate addiction. Are you kidding me? Uh, DEA opens public comment period after immense pressure from advocates and prominent members of Congress. Drug Policy Alliance, Kratom does not belong in broken U.S. drug scheduling system. In an unprecedented move, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, has posted a notice in the Federal Registrar stating it is withdrawing its plans to ban Kratom using emergency scheduling powers. The DEA insisted, instead, is opening a public comment period ending December 1st. The official notice indicates that comments received by the DEA will be considered, along with formal input from the Food and Drug Administration, before a determination is made about scheduling Kratom. The DEA's proposed ban on Kratom, a medicinal plant used for millennia in Southeast Asia and currently used by millions in the U.S. was anticipated to go into effect as early as September 30th. Today's announcement by the DEA comes amidst enormous pressure on the agency from public and federal lawmakers to halt the proposed Kratom ban. In recent weeks, prominent members of Congress, including Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican Utah, Senator Cory Booker, Democrat New Jersey, have sent letters to the DEA criticizing the Kratom ban and calling on the agency to provide a public comment period. Today's announcement is considered unprecedented for a law enforcement agency that has never backed down when (laughs) using its controversial emergency scheduling powers. This is a truly remarkable moment to see the Drug Enforcement Administration, a law enforcement agency with a long track record of ignoring both science and public opinion, being forced to consider the scientific evidence and public opinion before taking additional steps with respect to Kratom, said Grant Smith, Deputy Director of National Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance. People who oppose a federal Kratom ban only have about six weeks to tell the federal government that Kratom does not belong in our broken drug scheduling system. DPA held a national press teleconference about Kratom on September 27th with leading advocates and researchers. Audio is available here. You guys can go to drugpolicy.org and listen to that. Since the ban was announced, DPA donors and activists have sent over 60,000 messages to Congress. In the days leading up to September 30th, Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican Utah, the most senior Republican senator and the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, sent a dear colleague letter to the DEA asking to postpone its plan to place Kratom on Schedule 1. The letter was also signed by Senator Mike Lee, Republican Utah, Mark Kirk, Republican Illinois, Angus King, Independent Maine, Michael Bennett, Democrat Colorado, Bernie Sanders, Independent Vermont, Tom Tillis, Republican North Carolina, Ron Wyden, Democrat Oregon, and Mark Warner, Democrat Virginia. Senator Cory Booker, Democrat New Jersey, also sent a separate letter to the DEA co-signed by Kristen Gillibrand to pop Democrat New York and Ron Wyden, Democrat Oregon, stating the need for adequate time for experts to weigh in via public comment in the house. Republican Mark Pocan, Democrat Wisconsin and Representative Matt Salmon, Democrat, it's hard to remember what these are, Republican Arizona, led a bipartisan letter to the DEA signed by 51 U.S. representatives urging them to hold off the ban. Many people struggling with opioid addiction have turned to Kratom as a safer alternative, but all promising scientific studies on its role in opioid treatment would have been immediately shut down by a Schedule One designation. Critics have slammed the DEA for using its emergency scheduling power to ban a natural substance that is is being actively studied in the U.S. for therapeutic uses and questioned the rigor by which the DEA 
consulted scientific evidence in its decision. Schedule 1 is reserved for substances that have a high potential for abuse, no currently accepted medical use in treatment in the United States, and no accepted safety for use of the drug or other substances under medical supervision. Criteria that differ from scientific literature exploring Kratom and its constituents. The DEA's emergency scheduling action would have sub- subjected anyone caught with any quantity of Kratom to long prison sentences. <laughs> the Schedule One designation also would effectively halt scientific investigation into Kratom's medicinal benefits while making it impossible to enact sensible legal regulations, such as quality control measures, product labeling requirements, as well as marketing, branding, and retail d- display restrictions, which are long proven to reduce substance misuse and youth access. Advocates argue that the DEA's decision to add Kratom to Schedule 1 underscores the need for an overhaul of our federal drug scheduling system. Decisions about how drugs are classified and regulated should be guided by science, not by law enforcement. Scheduling decisions should be led by federal health agencies with input from independent scientists and experts. If the DEA gets its way, more people who struggle with addiction will be criminalized, said Jag Jag Davies, Director of Communications Strategy at the Drug Policy Alliance. Given the widespread more political and scientific consensus that drug use and addiction are best treated as health issues rather than criminal matters, there's no good reason to criminalize people simply for using Kratom, especially considering how much we already know about Prohibition's disproportionate impact on people of color and Mm -hmm. other marginalized communities. They're so smart. (laughs) In 2014, DPA and MAPS co-released a report, the DEA, Four Decades of Impeding and Rejecting Science, that demonstrates how the DEA has systematically obstructed medical research and rejected scientific evidence. In 2015, DPA released another more far-reaching report, the DEA, Everything You Need to Know, to learn more about how the DEA has fueled mass incarceration, wasted taxpayer money, and blocked scientific research. Check out the DPA's Fire the DPA campaign. Absolutely. Yay! So, we won. We, we won. And see, this is how you get things done when you do it bipartisan. You know? Yeah. This is... This is this is what Congress. This is how Congress is supposed to work. Well, that's why the that's why the Drug Policy Alliance is so awesome because they're an agency that's forwarding change, and they're not, you know. I mean, obviously they're they lean to the to the uh, what's it called to the to the to the right to the left, whichever way the cool people lean to the left to the right. Uh, but they're not. I mean, they're they're a bipartisan group. They don't you know, subscribe to. And I, and the, and I think also, like, uh, the reason why, like, a lot of these Republican senators or what have you were on board because a lot of the the heroin epidemic is actually going on in a majority of white communities. Yeah, now it is. Yeah. And so... Because we, we started it with all the with all the opioids coming through the system. Yeah. We, we the, the, the pharmaceuticals, they, they started it. That's, yeah. And hey, you, everybody be on opi- opioids, uh, and then we're going to, now you can't have them anymore. What are you going to do if you're addicted now? Right. You're going to find them illegally. You're uh, going to get fake prescriptions. You're going to start doing any, heroin. By any means to get your fix. Right. And I then mean, there's people that don't even just take the pills. They crush the pills up and they put those in a needle. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but but I, I I see the fact and I'm glad that you know I'm glad that you know finally like the DEA you know we put pressure on them you know because the DEA they're scandalous they're they're a scandalous agency that's that doesn't need to be, exist period 
you know and the fact of the matter is just like you know you have a growing uh, heroin epidemic here in the United States and and unfortunately it's like in a lot of white middle class you know neighborhoods so and if Kratom can help then let's not make it a schedule one right let's say oh my gosh there's this much like marijuana oh there's this medicinal plant that we can tap and research that's been used for millennia for all kinds of things that's a painkiller and also hello works with opioid addiction without all of the because we know that methadone doesn't work we know that 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 methadone therapy it just changes the drug that you have to take every day right it doesn't yeah doesn't help i want to know though the other side of it what where were our senators and what have you during the crap epidemic yeah you know well that was the 80s like i mean i know i watched that but uh, you still have people who are incarcerated oh absolutely for small amounts of crack cocaine or who still have think about that you know that you know the dea has you know inform you know with the whole informants thing and what have you know you have people who are still like in jail. I, I didn't even think about that. There's people that could still be in jail from the 80s. Oh, you know there are. There's, yes. For selling tiny amounts of crack cocaine. Tiny amounts. And or not even selling it, just having it on them. That too, yeah. Possession. 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 So, I mean, I'm just, wow. I, I'm glad that there's a change in people. It, it, unfortunately, it took white people getting on heroin to realize, <laughs> wow, you know what? <laughs> This drug war is not working. This drug we war were is telling nuts. you that like 25 years ago. Oh. Yeah, you know, but um, you know, but at I least think it's the, progress. I think that the government underestimated. That. They said that crack kills, but it actually you can be alive for a really long time on oh, crack. Oh no, I think crack that preserves they, you. I think that that was like the wrong. <laughs> the, it preserves you. They put in the wrong message there. They're saying heroin will fucking kill you. <laughs> well, I've been seeing. I mean, I see, and I don't know who's. who takes what but I've been seeing a lot of people shooting up on the street it's weird like behind bus shelters and in just interesting places and pretty much in the open and I'm like I hate seeing that wow it's so just it's so sad to me because there's there's no fun in that yeah (laughs) especially I see people putting it between their toes yeah and I'm like wow you got to be flexible for that shit. <laughs> How do you stay flexible? Are you doing yoga in the park after? Or, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You put it's, the heroin in your toes. to find that vein. You put the speedball on your toes, and then you do uh, a couple downward dogs so you can still, you know, reach your toes later. You know, there is nothing. I mean, I've been offered heroin before, and I've never taken it just because the fact of the matter. It's just, you know, I've, I'm afraid of ending up like that, you know, because I've had people that say, well, you know, that first hit. Is better than sex and all this, right, and right, right. you know it's. But then you're. But chasing. sex after you've killed someone. Now that's hot. <laughs> that's now sexy. That, now that is what police officers are meant for. Oh, I totally need to become a police officer oh. so I can come better. Right. I. Ugh. I just. I, I. would never be able to. Uh, fight. You know, discharge a firearm. I just don't think that I'm. I just don't think I'm cut out for this gun war. Yeah. Competing <laughs> class war. I'm a little scared. Uh, hey, well, that thanks to Drug Policy Alliance. Thanks for uh, putting it out, making change. It's really exciting about that Kratom thing. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh, writing letters and paying attention to something worked. <gasps> I don't think that happened. Bipartisan. Yeah. Your Congress kind of did something. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Prop 64 coming up here coming. in... Uh, November. It's gonna and everyone's gonna vote yes. There's just there's just no right. way. So what did did you watch the debates? 
I did. I did. I laughed a lot. Did you? How, how, how hard? And, uh. <laughs> and the fact that he sniffles every time he... You know, every time he sniffles, he's lying. Oh, is that his tell? I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that. It just, it, I, I believe it. I mean, you can't. It's like if someone is lying to you, they're not looking you in the eye. Person. Yeah. You know, you can't I don't, hear the, I don't this. Oh yeah, it was well. I thought at the beginning, I thought that he was on Valium. He was so <laughs> chill that I was like, wow, um, wow. <laughs> Uh, and then I thought the lowest moment was when he said that she was heart. He, she had no heart or something. Yeah. What was like that what? quote? He said. Um, he said she. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, this I just pulled up uh, a little thing. There's a bunch of different people weighed in. Uh, yeah, hatred and the devil. Sex scandals, a jail threat. I know that was crazy. The jail yeah, the threat jail at the threat. beginning was crazy. I was like, he just threatened her. Uh, hatred and the devil. How low did we just go? We asked political observers to weigh in. So um, here's, yeah, there was Trump calling Hillary Clinton the devil, a person filled with tremendous hatred, <laughs> whom he would jail if he were president. That was great. I would put you in jail. But um, the tremendous hatred in her heart, that's when I, I was, we were at my favorite Indian restaurant, Tiki Masala on Ellis. They're really great, by the way. Um, and there was a family sitting in the back and we made him turn on the debates, Jonathan and I. And when he said that she had tremendous hate in her heart, I actually like went, what? Like I made like this noise <laughs> in the restaurant and the whole family turns around. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He just said that she had tremendous hatred in her heart. Um, cause he knows, cause he's all seeing and all knowing and he's been inside her heart. Um, cause his is so black. we have, uh, a couple different, I'll read some quotes and then you can tell me so far outside the norm that it's hard to position it fully within the history of presidential debates. That's from Nicole Hemmer, assistant professor at the University of Virginia Miller Center, co-host of the past present podcast and author of Messengers of Rights, conservative media and the transformation of American politics. Do you want to hear what she had to say? Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, she says, Sunday night was the lowest point in presidential debate history. No contest. A major party candidate vowed that if his opponent won, he would have her prosecuted and imprisoned. Lock her up has been a disturbing rally chant for months now. But Donald Trump has never gone so far as to promise Hillary Clinton's prosecution. We've never seen such a wholesale attack, not just on a candidate, but on the rule of law. If a constitutional order isn't your thing, there were plenty of other low points. Trump, faced with his boasts about sexually assaulting women, offered not an apology, but a dismissal as locker room talk. He trotted out women who have accused Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct, seating them in the front row of the audience and That's shouting them out early in the debate. He accused Hillary Clinton of having tremendous hate in her heart. None of this is normal. Indeed, it's so far outside the norm that it is hard to position it fully within the history of presidential debates. There just aren't any parallels. You'll notice I haven't mentioned Clinton's responses. That's because she delivered a standard debate performance, one modeled after her husband's empathetic turn at the first town hall debate in 1992. She spoke personally and with warmth to audience members and repeatedly pivoted toward her central campaign themes. Trump baited, she refused to bite. But how do you assess a normal performance in response to an unprecedented one? The overall effect is a disjointed, unpleasant, and bizarre, just like the rest of the 2016 campaign. Pretty much. 
So there, that's one of them. Uh, here's another one. Declaring yourself the judge and jury is what tyrants do. Yep. That's what I said, too. I was like, does this remind anybody of, I don't know, Hitler? Using- dictator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael Kazin, professor of history at Georgetown University and editor of Dissent. The lowest point in this debate, and in any debate since the first ones in 1960, was when Donald Trump vowed to prosecute Hillary Clinton if he wins the presidency and then said she should be in jail already. Declaring yourself the judge and jury is what tyrants do, not presidents who have to abide by the Constitution and the common law. But otherwise, the debate was rather predictable. Trump was Trump, bombastic, aggressive, arrogant, eminently quotable. And I have to say, to that I have to say, tremendous. Disgraceful or just <laughs> tremendous, uh, disastrous, tremendously disastrous, tremendous, disastrous. Um, Clinton was Clinton, rather wonkish and defensive, but effective when she empathized how central tolerance of differences is to a working democracy. Her big mistake was not confronting Trump with all the Republicans in Congress who have repudiated him. His big mistake was minimizing his boast at committing sexual assault that access Hollywood tape. And so we will have to sit through a third of these fiascos in less than two weeks. Do you want to hear what Newt Gingrich says? Oh, God. Let's see what, let's hear what that piece Newt Gingrich, says. former U.S. Uh. Speaker of the House. The debate was an accurate reflection of the depth of passion between the insurgency and the establishment. <laughs> the toughest parts reflect how the culture has changed. Presidents Franklin D. Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and Lyndon B. Johnson were protected by news media conventions such that certain topics simply weren't reported or officially discussed. Now we live in a much tougher, more open, and more vulgar world. It's also part of Daniel Patrick Moynihan's essay on defining deviancy down. So he's saying poor Trump was demonized because now we know that he grabs girls' pussies on a regular basis. Uh, that's called assault, brother. Yeah, it's assault. It's sexual assault. It's called, and the thing is, just like you know, you I can't. I'm glad, like you know, some of these Republicans are like taking their endorsement away. But you still have, you still have uh, House Speaker, uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan is still, you know, he's still endorsing him. You have a truckload of other Republicans who are endorsing them. What's going to happen is the Republican Party. They're gone. They've fallen apart. They're gone. But they're but they could still have control. What they need to do right now is not focus on the presidency, but focus on the Senate, Senate. and the House. I don't think they're going to get it. But if they because if they get if if they get the Senate and the House, and Hillary is president, nothing's going to happen. There's not going to be any change. There's everything's going to she's going to everything she's going to ask for is going to be vetoed. It's going to be impossible. I know, but here's well, here's what's going to happen though, because the fact that a matter this is why a lot of Republicans have been backing away because they're worried about their Senate seats. Right. Because they know they're like, oh shit. Yeah. Now I can't. I, we do need the women's vote. Yeah, do, yeah. You do. We do need the Latin vote. We do need the African American vote. We do need the LBG. There are, there are younger people every day who are turning 18. Right. You know, and a lot of them are Latinos. Yeah. And a lot of them are gay. And a lot of them are women. And a lot of them are black. Yeah. And so they're registering to vote. I they're, hope so. They're not, they're not, they're not going to get those people. We need to have another voting is cool campaign, like get the vote out MTV thing or whatever. Oh, yeah. They've been doing the rock the vote and okay, stuff good, like that. The they still I'm do glad. that. Um but it's also the fact that, you know, the Republican Party, they're, they're not going to get their seat back next year. I don't think they are. Well, they, they're fucking up so bad. I mean, this was the yeah. last straw. <laughs> well, we're going to watch another debate, unfortunately. Uh, this is a long one. 
This is from Virginia Heffernan, author of Magic and Loss, The Internet as Art. And she says it just seemed profoundly sad. Do you want to, do we want to get into this one? This other one, this is, a, this is a shorter one. Surreal, bizarre, and often entertaining, Matt Latimer, former speechwriter for President George Bush, a co-partner in Javelin, a literary agency and communications firm, and Politico magazine contributing editor. Do you want to hear? Yes, indeed. Uh, was this the lowest point in presidential debate in history? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd call it that, but it was the first in which both candidates accused the other of being complicit in sexual assault and then ended with words of praise for each other and a handshake. It was surreal, bizarre, and often entertaining. Donald Trump seemed far more prepared and coherent than the last debate. He didn't say anything, while Hillary Clinton seemed more peeved and defensive. And who could blame her? With Paula Jones and Juanita Broderick in the audience, Trump may as well have emerged the winner of the evening, if only because he was still being treated as a serious candidate for office and, as Clinton seemed to say, a good parent. But it's hard to imagine how he will undo the damage that this weekend wrought on his campaign. I, I, so, mean, I, oh, I just, yeah, I just found it disgusting that he brought like uh, the people that accused Bill Clinton of sexual uh, harassment there to the forum. I find that really disturbing and disgusting. It, it's, it's, it's terrible. It was, it, it was just low blows all the way around. And it's just so immature. It, it's, it's terrible that he's possibly <laughs> still being considered as the Republican candidate. Uh, there never has been a high point. One person says two wrongs don't make a right. Um, Beth Myers, uh, the human interest component that usually animates town hall debates was largely absent. The issue whether uh, the issue will be whether Donald Trump has so rewritten the standards that his absence of a catastrophic meltdown this evening becomes a victory. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious, <laughs> right? He he didn't say anything specific, but he no. didn't melt down. He, he, he attacked didn't answer, her. He didn't answer questions. He didn't answer questions. Uh, <laughs> it's. I, I want to get back to that one, the one long ladies thing, because she says something in the middle that I think is is interesting about him, about not backing down. Uh, no longer did either candidate, frankly, seem interested in conjuring an abstract battle between regular Joes and social justice warriors or deplorables and hypocrites with advanced degrees. Trump has spent the past year opening fire on normalcy and having everyone from his advisors to the media to his party beg him to stop. On Sunday, he still didn't stop though he may have paused to reload. Many Republicans have now disavowed him, but there's now no doubt Trump will never, ever have a reckoning. He will never fall to his knees. He will never search his soul as George W. Bush did when he gave up drinking, or as Barack Obama did when he finally met his father, or as Joe Biden did when, he and his, when his wife and infant daughter died in a car accident. Possibly this is because, as Mark Singer wrote of Trump in 1997, New Yorker Profile, Trump leads an existence unmolested by the rumbling of a soul. Pretty much. Spot on. Spot on. That was this lady. This lady's a great writer. This is Virginia Heffernan, author of Magic and Lost, The Internet is Art. She uh, she is a... They, I love these smart people that are talking about the... Uh, what went down? Uh, it, it's what, just... What did you think of the debates? Like, did you, did I mean, you anything out I of it? feel like Hillary did the best that she could do. Right. And I mean, I'm resigned to the concept because everyone says she's a liar. She's fucking lying. Even the guy sitting behind us. And that's what I said. I don't care. I said every politician in the history of politicians is lied. 
Every politician in the history of politicians has had sexual scandals. They just, not all of them have come to light. Back in the day, JFK hey. had a better secret service, right? Yeah. Like he could <laughs> keep have things the internet. under wrapped. Yeah. Right. There wasn't, and nope, the TMZ didn't exist yet. Yeah. So like, you know, there was, it was a different time. And I think that also we were, we still had our eyes blinded to the like, and I still think we do to, to, the, to politics. None of, I mean. We know, we know she's a liar, but every politician, every politician is, it, it's just. It, she better be a liar. She's going to be talking to like heads of state and <laughs> doing all kinds of shit. If you're in politics, you have to lie. You don't want to tell everybody everything all the time. And a mission is not necessarily lying. Like, come on, you can't tell, you can't be totally honest all the time, especially if you do and you think you can do that in politics, then you're living in a dream world. We've had worse scandals than an email. Right. Seriously, we've had worse six, Donald Trump, the whole campaign is a scandal, you know, it's just, but I have to say that his camp, they're pretty, I don't even want to say this. They're pretty good at manipulating the public into believing their horseshit. I don't know how because it, it's just horseshit that comes out of his campaign. Yeah. But for some reason, people like the way he talks they, about it. Right. He but, hasn't said anything. All he, he says is that what's happening is a tremendous disaster. But he doesn't say how to fix fear. it. And he doesn't have the ability to fix it because if you look at the past and how he's run his companies he just abandons them when something's wrong you commit bankruptcy and you get out of there right and that's not you can't do that with the country you can't this is uh cory shockey a research fellow at the hoover institution says it was a grim and tawdry affair <laughs> if fillmore if millard fillmore had been required to debate martin van buren and lewis cass for the presidency in 1848 instead of assuming office upon zachary taylor's death and anyway, candidates didn't directly campaign for office then. I'm sure that it would have been worse. <laughs> it absolutely does matter that this election is such a grim, tawdry affair, though. Americans are exasperated not just with their political leaders, but with the process of politics in our country. They don't believe politicians any longer solve problems, which is why there is such support for anti-establishment politicians like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Our politics will become even more populist unless politicians demonstrate much greater ability to solve the problems voters are worried about. Uh, I mean... Listen, I voted for Bernie in the primary. Me too. But it's not happening, okay? I I know what I have to do. I have to vote for for the for Hillary Clinton. You know, it's just it's. And you still have um, people who are undecided, like that town hall meeting. Those are all undecided people. Right. And it's just like it, it's. <laughs> and and I I didn't like the questions that some of them were asking. Some of the questions that were being asked were pretty fucking lame. Yeah. And they didn't talk about stop and frisk. They didn't right. talk they about didn't po- talk, police brutality. They didn't like talk they did. about the legalization of marijuana. They didn't talk no. about the DEA. They didn't they, talk about uh, the mass incarceration. They yeah. didn't talk about those things at all. That uh, was definitely neglected. Yeah. There was this person says uh, there was a double standard at work in this debate however expectations were very low for trump his campaign lurches from disaster to disaster his comments and tweets add kerosene to an already roasting fire the crude access hollywood tape released on friday had gop supporters jumping ship with his campaign in freefall trump had to show up and sound at least partially coherent and on that score aside from that weird inhaling through his nose and bizarre pacing <laughs> 
He succeeded, especially as the evening wore on. He didn't have a meltdown. He cleared the very low bar that was set for him. <laughs> this election has become such a telenovela that viewers were howling for Clinton to find a shiny shiv and stick it in deep, and that didn't happen. Her best strategy was perhaps to counter Trunk's dark view of America with lines like, we are great because we are good. And in my vision of America has a place where if you worked hard, and you can contribute and you are welcomed. This question is whether in the coming days Trump will be able to survive his own self-inflicted wound. He's not going to win the presidency. I mean... It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Here's a good closer. What would the founders have said? This is, remember the question here, is this the lowest moment in the history of debates? Jeff Greenfield, network television analyst, author, um, Politico magazine, contributing editor. If the members of the Constitutional Convention would have been given a time-traveling TV feed of the first 20 minutes of this debate, they would have said, you know what? Let's call the whole thing off. (laughs) Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah, it was was beneath the dignity of all Americans. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... it was it was a terrible it was terrible uh, and I agree that it, the bar set for Trump is very low and that he can be you know overtly misogynistic uh, and he can be he doesn't he skirting questions and the moderators even called it out oh yeah can you answer the question? question. Could you please answer the question? Oh, and he kept using this excuse about, like, well, you're giving her more time than me. Right, right, right. It was so childish. It's like, you know, well, what about me? I'm not... You're giving her more time than me. uh, She has more than two minutes. I'm like, are you... How old are we? How old are we? Yeah. What what job are we going for? And he could have a timer on his desk if he wanted. I mean, Uh, I'm sure the timer's out. But he was interrupting and being childish and ridiculous. Um, so uh, something that I read today on in Huffington Post was uh, Donald Trump tells Florida supporters the wrong date for Election Day. <laughs> um, yep, really. Um, he says Republican uh, presidential nominee Donald Trump told supporters in Florida on Tuesday evening that the election is on November 28th, 20 days after Election Day. Go register, Trump employed. Make sure you go out and vote on November 28th. Wow. <laughs> I, I got I, 28th. So, I mean, by this point, he really doesn't want to win. I, and I mean, I don't want, I don't want him to win either. Uh, he can't, uh, he can't, he can't win at this point. It's, it's, <laughs> if, if he does, it's a mockery of everything that has existed, uh, up to this point and I'm, I'm sad. It's uh, it's not going to happen. I'm, I I it just it, I hope not. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to have to leave the country, but I will. You know, the thing is, once you have like top Republicans like John McCain and what have you jumping ship, you know, they're they're just they're they're all they're thinking about themselves now. They're like, "You know what? Fuck this. Fuck fuck the election. I'm worried about Senate, my Senate seat. So uh, fuck absolutely. it. And that's, and that's, you know what? That's the smart strategy. Worry about your Senate seat. Because this presidential uh, election is not going to you. Just give it up. Yeah. You got to give it up. Uh, well, I, I mean, he can't like just disappear. He has to keep running. I want to wa- I want to watch the, the tape because I didn't, I never oh, even never saw, saw the I tape. never got to see the tape. Or listen to the tape. I, I put in damning Trump video, but I, 
don't I don't see it here. I, I guess I should do it. it Maybe you it's should, in YouTube. Right? You, what you should do is uh, Google Donald Trump pussy. Is that that's what he what says? She, that's what she, Donald Trump pussy. Trust me, I've Googled it and it came up. Okay, Donald <laughs> Trump pussy. Uh, there's a person saying Donald Trump is a pussy. Donald Trump tapes or maybe leaked. Donald Grab Trump America crap. by the pussy again. Uh, oh, Trump that's brags it. about exaggerating about gra- grabbing pussy. Here we go. Yeah, that's it. See, Donald Trump pussy. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Uh, that well, there's, obviously, there's going to be a commercial on this one. Duh. Because fucking because, YouTube. Because he gets all that. You know, and it's funny this time he didn't mention anybody, his agent, you know. And I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and <laughs> She was married. It's huge news, Sarah. No, no, Nancy. Yeah. No, this was And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a bitch. But I couldn't get there, and she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit in the purple. Whoa! Whoa. Yes! Whoa. Whoa. Yes, the Donald Escort! Whoa! <laughs> oh, my man! Wait, wait, you gotta look at me when you get out of your life. That is very you give me the thumbs up. You. you are a piece. You gotta put the thumbs up. You gotta okay. get the thumbs up. You can't be too happy. Else off first? Yeah, let me. It's very funny. You gotta give me the thumbs up. Man. Uh, you and I will walk there. Maybe it's a different one. Better not be the publicist. No, it's it's her. It's yeah, that's her with the gold. I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. <laughs> I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. You have them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. Uh, you know, those legs, all I can see is the legs. No, it looks good. Come on, shorty. Oh, nice legs, huh? Oof, get out of the way, honey. That's good legs. Go ahead. It's always good if you don't fall out of the bus. Like Ford, Gerald Ford, remember? <laughs> Down below. Pull the hell. Hello. How are you? Hi. Trump, how are nice you? Seeing you. Terrific. Nice to meet you. Terrific. You know Billy Bush? Hello. How are you? Nice to see you. How are you doing, Ariane? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Are you ready to be a soap star? We're ready. Let's go. Make right. me a soap star. How about a little hug for the Donald? He just got off the bus. Like a little okay, hug, absolutely. <laughs> Melania said this was okay. Said this was okay. Wow. You know, it's really sad that it took this long for people to, like, start jumping ship. I mean, after the first thing that he, how he started his campaign, how calling Mexicans rapists and criminals, and then going on to make fun of handicapped people, and then... Uh, it, it, and so on and so on. It, it, it took it took this. And being a misogynist dickbag. Like, that is... It's, it's The objectification of women is so pervasive in our society that we don't need to have a president who also celebrates, celebrates the objectification of women. Ah, just grab their pussy. He doesn't care if they're married. Doesn't matter. Grab their tits. Oh, nice fake tits. Great legs. Because women wouldn't actually have anything going on in their head. There wouldn't be anything behind. We aren't actually human. We're just there to, if you're famous, we just please you all the time. Of course, everyone wants to suck my dick. I'm rich. Fuck you, Donald Trump. Fuck you. 
Fuck you. Seriously. I can't even believe that you get to have this kind of mentality and it sickens me that you exist and that you perpetuate this misogyny and say that it's okay. And for this to be in the, in the internet and people are like, oh yeah, grab that pussy. That's a great, that's great. And when he didn't answer that first question about whether you think that you're upholding the morals, you have no morals, morals. you asshole. No. You don't even believe women are people. No. Locker room talk. Locker room talk, yeah, because, you know, we could talk about bitches and skanks and hoes all day. Skeet, skeet, skeet all over their faces, am I right? Get on your knees, bitch. Fuck you, dude, because women are people. So disrespectful. People. Okay, we're going to listen to the Saturday Night Live one because it's going to be funny. I'm really, 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 like, up in arms about this. And thank God I get to be on the 22nd. I'm in a roast show uh peter o'keefe's putting it together and we're roasting hillary and donald trump and i'm gonna freak out i'm gonna do like my i'm just gonna freak out like <laughs> just that freak out and be like like and then i'll just start talking about the t-rex <laughs> uh, but but i'm so angry i'm so angry no, it's really di- it's really disturbing that that kind of talk like it's it's grotesque it's 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 beyond offensive it's rapey it's creepy it's rapey it's creepy it's, and it's it, it, it devalues women as humans. And, it and is devaluing. It is saying that our only value and worth is in the way that I, we look. And stop that. Can I remind you that this was the man that also owned the Miss America, or, right. or excuse me, Miss USA right. uh, pageants right. or what have you. So no telling. And I'm sure there's going to be more stories about that coming mm-hmm. out as well. The blatant objectification of women uh, and belittling what who they are as and people and valuing have it purely to, on the way that they look. I have to say, shame, shame on those women who are still supporting this man. Shame on you. Yeah, absolutely. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. I mean, they're seriously. They're asking for, yeah, Donald Trump could grab my pussy anytime he wants. <laughs> or, or they would agree, like, that's just how men talk. No, it's not how men talk. No, they shouldn't talk I, like I that. really, dude, if a dude came up to me and said some shit like that, do you know he would get a drink thrown up in his face? Absolutely. Are you serious? You're talking about fucking insulting me. And, absolutely. It's an unwanted touch. Yeah, don't even touch. I mean, and even the words, I'm just talking about the words. I think the words are bad enough. But yeah, don't touch someone without their permission, period. That's I just start kissing on them. Oh, God. I just. Well, he's famous. Ew. 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 So this is uh, Saturday Night Live Torches Donald Trump. Whoops. Wrong, wrong ones. Here we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An encore presentation of Tuesday night's vice presidential debate. Good evening from Longwood University, and welcome to the first and only vice presidential debate. I'm the new Hispanic cast member, and tonight I'll be playing Asian moderator Elaine Keanu. <laughs> Because baby steps. (laughs) Now please, help me welcome America's dad, Senator Tim Kaine, and America's stepdad, Governor Mike Pence. Good evening. Hola, Elaine. I'd like to thank you both for being here and also say that you look exactly like a before and after Rogaine ad. We know. We know. Our first question tonight is about foreign policy. What are your plans to combat terrorism at home and abroad? 
Senator Kane, we'll start with you. Awesome, Elaine. I have a great answer for this, and here it is. Donald Trump has called Mexicans rapists, and he's called women pigs and slobs. No, no, that's not true. Yes, it is, Elaine. <laughs> no, it's not. Those are lies. Donald Trump loves women. He respects women. He's never said a single bad thing about women. And I dare you to show me a single shred of evidence that proves otherwise. Breaking news alert. Well, looks like Donald Trump finally got what he wanted, a working microphone. Trump and Billy Bush making lewd comments about women on an Access Hollywood bus in 2005. Here to address this breaking scandal is Donald Trump himself. Are you not entertained? Mr. Trump, this leaked audio showed you saying, um, you know, I can't, I can't quite say it on live television, um, but basically, uh, you said you wanted to, to grab them by the pussy. <laughs> oh, oh my God. And I would like to take this time to formally apologize. I deeply apologize. Are you trying to say apologize? No, I would never do that. What I am doing is <laughs> apologizing to all the people who were offended by my statements, but more importantly, uh, to the people who were turned on by them. I hear it's really 50-50. Mr. Trump, why would you say these horrible things in the first place? Uh, come on, Brooke. I was trying to look cool. I mean, what normal red-blooded American doesn't want to impress the Billy Bush? <laughs> also, P.S., you have to admit it's kind of funny that the only Bush who matters in this general election is Billy. That doesn't really excuse what you said. Listen, okay, this was way back in 2005. It was 11 years ago, back when I was just a young, childish, 59-year-old man. Uh, okay, now, Mr. Trump, many Republicans have stood by you through a lot of other scandals, but are now pulling their support. Um, people like Senator John McCain. Coward. Harley Purina. She's a four. Senator Mike Crapo. More like Crapo. But you must admit, this is bad for you. Uh, the only person I need is my running mate, Mike Pence. I love Mike Pence. I respect Pence. Uh, I'll always have Pence. Well, actually, today he said he can't condone your remarks, and then he canceled his campaign events. Mike Pence is a loser. I hate his guts. I call him puny pence. All right. Now, these comments have specifically offended women. What would you say to women voters watching this right now? I would say this. Listen, women, if you give me a chance, I promise I can do a lot more than just grab it.
I can also bop it, twist it, and pull it. I'm tired of talking about me. Okay, we need to move forward and focus on the serious issues. I'd like to send my condolences and prayers to everyone affected by Hurricane Matthew. I love the people of Florida, and I hope that they stay safe. I love the people of Florida. I hope they stay safe. Wow. wow. That that was actually a, a very nice thing to say, Mr. Trump. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, that was Republican nominee Donald Trump joining us now to discuss more on this. Now, let me tell you something, okay? What is, what is that? I wish that I was that hurricane tearing through all of that hot Miami pussy. I mean, just... Uh, oh, yeah. I would just destroy it. Mr. Trump, we can still hear you. Really? Then I apologize. Okay. We now go live to Hillary Clinton's campaign headquarters where they've just received news of the leak. this leaked audio. I mean, you must have had a hard time listening to it, huh? Yeah, I did. Take five, kids. Um, <laughs> I, I did, Brooke. It, it was incredibly disturbing. And when I heard it, I was deeply, uh, deeply saddened. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it made me feel just uh, horrible and very depressed. <laughs> It, 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 it is a, a very, very uh, sad day for our country and uh, for all women, minus one. <laughs> I have to say, Mrs. Clinton, you seem pretty excited by this leak. Well, you know, it's my reward, Brooke, for every single thing I've been through in the last 30 years. Whitewater, Benghazi, uh, Mary J. Blige singing into my face for a full hour last week. <laughs> now, since Mr. Trump's comments were so bad. So, so bad, just horrible, horrible. <laughs> Do you think he should drop out? No, 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 give him a shot. <laughs> I would like to address all of the uh, women out there who heard Trump's comments and uh, are still voting for him. Uh, my babies. <laughs> your brain broke. <laughs> I love you, but bish, you cray. <laughs> Clinton, thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone at home, for joining us. We'll keep you posted. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. He's a loser. He's a huge, huge loser. Mr. Trump? I mean, can you believe Ted Cruz endorsed me? Do you see that sad little video of him making calls for me? Talk about a pussy that I'd love to grab by the throat. Mr. Trump, you're my 
What? It is? And I would like to tell Ted Cruz in all sincerity, I stand by with that, what I said, you're a huge loser. And also, live from New York, it's Saturday night. Uh, that, that was that was good. fantastic. That was they very fantastic. Funny. I, I I do like the end of when Hillies uh, addressed the uh, female Trump supporters. You you cray you cray, <laughs> and it's true. Your brain broke. Your brain broke. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> it's just and it's she's on point on that. Absolutely. One. Your, uh, your, your brain. I, what do you explain your like if you have daughters? How do you explain yourself as a woman? that's still supporting someone like like what do you well i think that you would say uh that jesus also supports uh grabbing pussy <laughs> and no i'm kidding uh i don't i you know what i don't i wouldn't know there is no explanation i wouldn't know how to i mean but for me i'm i i just think he's such a fascist and terrible person anyways that i mean i think that little girls are constantly in like combat with the way that they're portrayed in the media how they're supposed to be they're supposed to be pink right. and frilly and why do they have to be that way are they supposed to be that way and then just with all of all of your self-worth being poured into the way that you appear to other people it wouldn't be such a problem if boys were given the same message if right. there were equal messages going out saying that the way that you look is incredibly incredibly important and your entire self-esteem should be based on the way that you look and appear to other people if that image was given out equally to little boys instead of them being programmed with be strong don't cry be tough you know blah, blah, no blah, emotion no emotion and, and but if it, it just it's i i just find it so sad when i mean it's the same thing like today people keep telling me on the street that i'm pretty and it's so stupid because when i was 25 and under it's i would have killed to hear that for people to randomly say that I'm pretty because I was always like, oh, I'm not pretty, blah, blah, blah. Right. But now I'm just like, ugh, you don't, that's a, just, you don't even have to, why do you feel like you have to mention it? Do you feel like you're helping my day by telling me that I'm pretty? <laughs> you're really not. This isn't. Well, I, I mean, I know. I, I mean, it's nice. But it's, it, it's nice because like it's, you know, because I, especially if you don't hear it every day. But, but. I also the other side of it is just like I I like to hear when people say you are very that's very that was a very intelligent move that right, you made right you're not that, that was so insightful your idea was so insightful yeah exactly you know and the fact of the matter is just like you it's you don't hear you don't hear that that much right. as you know as a female you know you hearing you you're pretty or oh my god got nice ass nice track or you know stuff like that well, I'm glad I haven't been getting that I've only been getting your pretty but and it's nice I guess it's it's nice but like I'm not after that and I don't really want it because I'd rather you like download my podcast <laughs> <laughs> like I don't give a shit I like it all pretty. just don't don't sexually harass me that I like it all just don't don't just don't be crude and nasty right, right, don't right. be and that's the thing just don't be crude right don't say you want to grab my pussy yeah that's crude I mean because even there are a lot of crude men out here so I mean mm. I mean we don't have virgin ears here but the fact of the matter that you're making it they, he makes it seem it's okay like that's normal right. it's okay it's okay to talk about with guys guys just talk about but, women that way we just devalue them all the time and to their faces we act differently but behind their backs we're allowed to totally say whatever we want and, yeah really it, 
Really, is that what you mean by locker room talk, Trump? Is that what you mean, is that men can dehumanize women behind closed doors, but have a real different, but you know I buy her diamonds and flowers and. Right, exactly, we're possessions. Right, possessions. Possessions, that's right. exactly, that's, yeah. And, the, and you don't think that his 42-year-old model wife who barely speaks English is a possession? <laughs> you know she his is. His third wife? You know she like, is. Like, we know how he treats women. I'm wondering what's going on in their bedroom. I mean, not literally, but like... I'm surprised he hasn't put out a sex tape yet, you know? Oh, that would, ooh, that would be, ooh, God, no. Well, because men's asses after 50, boy, can they really get flabby if oh, they don't take, Lord, they don't like roller skate or something. Just, oh, you know, <laughs> now we're objectifying. Now him. we're objectifying. <laughs> I don't even want to objectify. Which, I mean, it, it's just sad that, you know... There are women that will still support this Absolutely. fucking rapist. And you know what? I know he's raped somebody before. Of course. Of course it, he it's has. Just, I'm sure. That's just too rapey of talk. To, to, yeah. Especially when he thinks, oh, well, girls will do anything for you when you're famous. Right. Rapey. Rapist. Rapey, rapey, rapey. And by the way, uh, how, do you, how do you grab someone by the pussy? Well, you just kind of grab them by but the But what pussy. satisfaction do you, I mean, Cause it's, you don't even know what to do with be, it. Well, it's because it dehumanizes a woman and it makes them a possession because you just grab it like a bowling ball like just gonna pick <laughs> just, it up and take it with just, me just, like no finger it just you just, just grab, grab the pussy. Yeah. they don't know what he's doing you know. <laughs> so on a completely different uh, note because uh, you said rapist, so I was like, God, what should I be for Halloween? Should I be a rapist? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know what to be for Halloween. I'm stuck there, and too. The, the kids that I hang out with made me look at these terrible videos of other kids online that get way too many views. But there was a really cute one, and it was Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> and they just went, but it was a little girl who did it, so that was funny to me because it's like, you clearly haven't read that book. But just go to a paint store and get a bunch of gray swatches and then wear gray and then tape them on your body and like carry ropes and like gloves <laughs> and like a ga- ball gag. That's Do you know what awesome. I mean? But be 50 shades of gray. That is awesome. It's pretty easy one. But the fact that it was on the internet already makes me be like, it's not that original, but it'd be pretty funny. Cause I, I mean, my spin on it would be like the ball gag right. and the blindfold and the, and the rope and walk around and be like, I'm that's 50 actually, shades of gray. that's a really good, idea wow. yeah because it's cheap and easy i have a lot of great clothes but i don't i didn't know what else to do i was I trying to think i was thinking like sexy cheech and chong but <laughs> then i'd have to find it jonathan would have to grow his beard out and i don't you know and i'm sure he doesn't want to look sexy sexy chong like i'd be sexy <laughs> cheech with like you know the little the rainbow suspenders and like little tiny cut off right little pant things and i you know i don't know what i'm gonna do either i don't know i have no idea i I should know, but I don't. I should know by now. Uh, every I do year, like the, the Fifty Shades of Grey thing. Sounds really clever. Uh, I was thinking, well, I'm always the uh, the Runover Girl Scout, so I don't want to do that again because I'm always the Runover Girl Scout. I did that last year. Um, and I have a lot of, I just have to, I have my wedding dress that still fits me from 2000. So, I mean, I guess I could be like zombie bride or something. That's but I don't want to like splash fake blood on it. You know what I mean? If I take my wedding dress out in the world, it's right. so I'm like, uh, I don't know if I really want to do that. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm really at a standstill with mine. Like, I'm probably just, the day of, I'll probably throw some shit together, knowing me. Though, the idea, I did think about being one of those creepy clowns. You know, there's that whole... The clown uh, thing is the it clown coming, thing yeah. Is the clown thing's in vogue right now. I, I totally thought about, like, just being a creepy clown and just standing outside the Boys and Girls Club. Oh, my God. And just waving. Wow, with balloons and say, we all float here. Yes. We all float. 
because I, I, I that's my dark side coming out where I I, I really find the creepy clown thing really funny. Yeah, um, I do too. So I thought about like, you know, maybe it could be one of those creepy, creepy sexy clowns. Creepy sexy clowns. You know, that's that's what ha- funny. Because Halloween, I'm sorry, women, we use that as an excuse to be sexy anything. So I I do it too. So creepy sexy clown. Creepy clowns. sexy clown. <laughs> With balloons. With balloons. <laughs> Have a balloon, little kid. Yeah, yes, exactly. Would you like a balloon? Yeah. Do you, you want to see animal tricks? Yeah. <laughs> One year I tried to do balloon animals in the shape of penises because uh, I was a I was a porn clown. Oh and, nice. Yeah, I went to like five different stores to find those balloons, and then I finally got some, and they didn't even work. And I was like, damn it. But I was trying to make a balloon cock and balls for everybody. <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna be this year. I haven't figured it out yet. I, I got the Fifty it Shades of Grey. If if all else fails, if all else fails, it's very easy to do. You just yeah. go to Benjamin Moore Paints and be and like, it's clever. And it's clever. Except I didn't clever it up myself, which is why I'm like, ooh, I'd like to clever it myself, you know. Ball gag. The ball. I know. I'm making it sexy with the ball gag. Yeah. Or duct tape or whatever. <laughs> I have handcuffs. I have um, handcuffs from when I was Martha Stewart in jail when she first got indicted. And I took handcuffs and I made the chains bigger with duct tape chains so oh, that cool. I could actually have some range of motion with my hands. Because I was like, I'm not going to be chained to myself all night. Like, come on. <laughs> give me a break. You don't want to be shackled to yourself? Love Martha Stewart. God, I love her. Oh, she's actually coming out with a show, her and Snoop Dogg. Shut up. Yeah. They're, they're neighbors in, uh, or no, her, her and Puff Daddy are neighbors in uh, the Hamptons. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't she know that. She Diddy. Party. Yeah. Yeah. Hamptons. Yeah, she and uh, they're supposed to be, I think the show is based on them having dinner parties and that stuff. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I hope she makes food with pot in it, because that would be so cool. I think that's probably what's going to happen. It better happen. Oh, my God, Martha Stewart. Yeah. God, I love her. Uh, th- there's a couple people that I would want to meet, and uh, in descending order, I would say, uh, number one, Stephen King, number two, Martha Stewart, number three, Alton Brown. Alton Brown. If I could meet Alton Brown. Oh, boy, I love that guy. Really? Good Eats, Cutthroat Kitchen. All the new Cutthroat Kitchens are amazing. The weird ones with the Halloween stuff. He's just so fucking creative and amazing. And his, uh, Jonathan just got me his new cookbook for my birthday, and it's so awesome. And uh, he's just such a personable guy. And, like, I don't know. He's just really talented and wonderful, and he has that weird theater background. And I oh, just really? really love... Yeah, well, his shows, like Good Eats, they always had these weird sets, and he's just... And he does the science behind cooking and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm into it. He's taught me a lot about food so i wouldn't mind meeting him he and martha he and martha have taught me a lot about yeah about food and then stephen king's taught me a lot about everything i'm on book three of the dark tower series now really because i finished insomnia last week and uh so i went from it, it to insomnia now i'm in the dark tower series i'm on book three already i'm gonna blow through these and then all i have is the talisman left that's how it. many pages is that uh the talisman's a long one what's long peter's one. job i don't know um but going through the Dark Tower, I mean, you know, and it isn't, I have to be honest, it's not going to be in my top 10, the, the whole series or any of them individually. We'll see as I get through them. But I like his other, I like his other modes better. Like, how many, so how many total Stephen King books do you think you've read? Now, I'm going to say over 70. Wow. Yeah. Because he has all of his short story compendiums and um, then there's like 11 of those or something. And then uh, his nonfiction, and then plus I think he has like 58 novels out now. Really? Um, Jeez. And I've read most of those. But then all of it together, I'm going to say over 70 books. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. He's, I mean, and the concept that he's 
only been writing since 1974. Well, I mean, he was writing before that in high school and whatever, but he started getting published in 1974. And that he's like still completely relevant and completely working and just churning out scripts. And I love all of his later stuff, so. And a lot of his stuff is very versatile. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just haunting, scary stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, you know. It's really. Shawshank Redemption, uh, man. Isn't that, isn't that a great one? That one's yeah. in different seasons. And also the body is in that that Stand By Me was based on. So I'm trying to be, I mean, I want to be one of the foremost uh, scholars of Stephen King. I want to write this syllabus called Constant Reader and then try to teach it like at CCSF or teach it at a school and say, That's hey. That's a good idea. Right, because the problem is that people don't read for joy anymore. They don't read for entertainment or fun. And reading can be fun. And once you start getting into it, I just really think that it improves your brain in so many ways with critical thought and with understanding stories and identifying with other people, having empathy for characters and and situations that you wouldn't have any normal reference to because the author is such a great storyteller. And to be able, like the whole goal of the class would be to teach people to love reading by reading Stephen King. And you know what? What I really don't like about myself is I don't read as much as I should. I really don't. And even there's still, I'm reading a book right now, but I don't know why I don't I haven't finished it. I'm reading um, the new Jim Crow. Oh, um, so and, and that's the like, that's the book that I've been reading, and I need to pick it back up and start reading again. But I, you're absolutely right because the fact of the matter is like with reading, it's imagination as well. If you're right. doing like nonfiction and what have you, sure, you know, and critical thought, absolutely. And there was a point in time when I used to love reading. I would always have a book with me, and then somehow, some way, I fell off. I think that it has to do with the advent of more technology in our phones in that you can actually burn a couple, you can burn hours on your phone. Totally. You can just zip, 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 zip. I mean, and, and reading is, it's like a muscle, like anything else. You have to exercise it. You don't just, I mean, I read really fast, but only because I read a lot. So, and it's like the more you read, the more you want to read. And the more you read, you get better at reading and you understand more about what you're reading and I mean, I, I enjoy so much, like, being inside his stories that or I just love I love reading too much at this point. But I want to be able to convey some of that passion and excitement for alternative, alternative entertainment. Isn't that funny? Books are alternative <laughs> entertainment now. Like, I want, that, I want people to be excited about alternative entertainment, i.e. reading. So go pick up a book. Get your library card renewed. And there, I mean, even... I found on the fifth floor at the library, they have a whole section of cookbooks. It's amazing. They have like just row after row after row of cookbooks of every ethnicity, of every, there's a whole section on cookies and ice cream. Like I was like, oh my God, there's this huge section on cheese making. Nice. I mean, I didn't even like think about the library and San Francisco library is an amazing fucking library. Like, so go support the, Go support the library. It's free. It's awesome. And they have, like, all kinds of stuff there. They have, like, talks, and they have, uh, what are they called? Uh, they have job workshops, and they're, I think that they're kind of on the forefront of, you know, reminding us about alternative media. <laughs> remember when books were alternative media? <laughs> they are again. Do you remember a book? Do you remember books? That was weird. <laughs> I got a Kindle. No, I don't have a Kindle. I actually read books. Uh, final uh, final words here on the AltaCast? Uh, final words. Um, let's see. Actually, I'm at a blank right now. Ah, well, come see my show this Friday at 8 o'clock on Pamtastics. I'm going to be doing... 42 minutes sex. I'm 42 years old. Yay. Um, yay. I really want to try to get 30 people in here because uh, 
it'll, that would be great to be able to do my time and have a nice video that I can. Y'all need to come on down. Come man. on down. Mute, to the mutiny radios. I'm going to rehang the art that keeps falling down. Uh, and coming up next is the new show, Song Call Me Tim, uh, with myself and Timothy Pizza, also known as Pervert Fervor, running the ones and twos moogity moogs. Today we are interviewing Jay Austin Graham of Not Safe for Work Radio on FCC Free. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about dogs. He, he loves dogs. <laughs> I'll probably talk a lot about pot, things with O in the middle of it. The O. The O. O word. Put the O back in. O, O. O. But not if you're looking at Donald Trump. I can't wait for a sex tape to come out. Won't that be exciting? So, uh, the Melania uh, Trumpy sex tape. I think he's saving it for there's, like. There's more stuff to come. Oh, I, there I is. hope so. In this shit show? Yeah. Because entertainment is everything, everybody. This is like a for real reality show. It's for but real. But it's a really fucked up one. It is the worst that we could imagine. <laughs> Pick up a book, please. Pick up a book. <laughs> Pick up a book about fascism and try to make connections between. There you go. This is why Donald that's important. And, reading. Yeah, reading. Uh, we'll see you guys next week here on the AltaCast. Bye. Bye. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard, as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah.
Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission High for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now well hey there San Francisco if you're looking for some delicious late night food I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar inside you can find counter offer and offering you amazing late night food and snacks try the chicken biscuit it's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado they have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue 
located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Meet New Radio FM Index at Podcasts. PCRcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. 
From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collection...